It's Muppeturgy with a very special episode about the Emmy-winning Rita Moreno episode of The Muppet Show! Welcome back to Muppeturgy. I am David Levy, and today I am here with... Adam Grossworth. Christy Bauer. And Michal Richardson. Adam, tell us about what we're here to do. So this is the last time I have to say this, but it might be the first time that you are hearing it. We are recording a bunch of episodes before The Muppet Show drops on Disney+. And one weird thing, there are many weird things about The Muppet Show, but one weird thing is that it was made in a very different order than it aired. So we're not sure if Disney is going to use the production order, which is what's on the DVDs that we're using, or the air order, or something else entirely. So this is the Rita Morena episode which is technically season one, episode five, meaning it was the fifth episode made in June of 1976. It was the premiere episode to air in New York on Monday, September 20th, 1976. Because this was America's first look at The Muppet Show, I was interested in the TV landscape the show appeared on. So on this date, the New York Times had a review of all the major networks' new series, which it found lackluster. And they mentioned that the season had been delayed by a series of presidential debates between Ford and Carter. This episode has a couple of topical political jokes, which is something I feel goes away in later episodes, but maybe I just don't remember them because I didn't understand them as a child. But I have watched these since as an adult and still don't remember them. Um, Here's a taste of those. My cousin's so dumb, he spent two weeks in London trying to find the European common market. That's a, uh, a precursor to the European Union, surely a, a hot topic in 76. I have to say that that joke went over like gangbusters in my house. We love that. <laughs> now or back in the day? Now, but yeah. that's because we, we recently watched The Crown and there was a whole episode about the European common market, so it, was, it felt topical again. Uh, this one, which really probably always topical from a little later in the episode. I hear that the president said that you shouldn't panic if you don't have a job. That's easy for him to say. He's got a job. Yikes. So The Muppet Show was syndicated. So it aired in New York uh, at 7.30 on the CBS affiliate, where it was followed by Rhoda. Shout out to David's cat, Rhoda. Uh, Phyllis, Maud, and the new shows All's Fair and Executive Suite. Other networks had The Captain and Tennille and Dick Van Dyke's new variety show. So that's three variety shows on this one night, uh, along with Monday Night Football and a couple of movies. And honestly, this sounds like a great night of television. David, why did Rita Moreno make this an even greater night of television? And why was she the right star to introduce America to The Muppet Show? I mean, Rita Moreno makes everything better whenever she touches been doing it for her whole very long career. I would say that she's probably most famous for her Academy Award-winning role as Anita in the film version of West Side Story. I should say the first film version of West Side Story, because she will also be playing Valentina in Steven Spielberg's remake of West Side Story, which is coming out sometime in the future. Who knows what's happening with movies these days? Um, but she really, she came up through the MGM system. She had a small part in Singing in the Rain. Uh, she had one of her sort of breakthrough roles. She played Tup Tim in the uh, 20th Century Fox film version of The King and I. She was the third person ever to achieve EGOT, the Emmy, Granny, Oscar, Tony, uh, quadruple crown, which she achieved with this very episode of television that we're about to discuss. She won her first, uh, but not her last, Emmy for The Muppet Show. She had previously won her Tony for... Uh, appearing in Terrence McNally's The Ritz on Broadway, and I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later. I forgot to look what her Grammy was for. It's for The Electric Company. Wonderful. So that's the other connection, probably 
how they managed to get her for the Muppet show is that she was one of the regulars on the electric company, which was children television workshops, successor to Sesame street successor in the sense that it came second. And also it was for kids who were a little bit older, who had graduated for Sesame street. It was really about teaching reading skills. It did not have Muppets on it, but it was part of the same children's television workshop parent company. So, you know, there was a lot of cross pollination and the folks putting it together. Adam, you have a, an electric company story to share. Yeah. Well, I, about 20 years ago, I, I actually met Rita Moreno very briefly, and I, I almost never approached stars in their, you know, when they're off duty <laughs> in their natural habitat. But I, I sort of couldn't resist just, you know, saying hello and, and saying to her, you know, that I, I grew up watching The Electric Company. And then, you know, later I learned about musical theater and I love West Side Story. And it's just, a, you know, it's an honor to meet you. And, something stupid. And she looked me in the eye and and she said, did I teach you how to read? I love that. And I said, well, I mean, you helped, you helped for sure. Um, and, and she said, that means a lot. Thank you so much for telling me that. And that was the extent of our conversation. And I, that's obviously a line. That's obviously a thing that she says to everybody who talks to her about the electric company, but I could also tell that she, she sincerely likes when people talk to her about the electric company, like it's a thing that means a lot to her. And I, I find it interesting that she went and did this children's television show, you know, after being an Oscar winner. Like she was, she was not unfamous, and a lot of people were on that show. Some who went on to be big stars, and some who were already big stars. And it's sort of great. We'll put some some clips and some links in the in the show notes if you're not familiar with it. She has spoken about how she was very disappointed that after winning the Oscar, she did not have the career bump that uh, that white actresses tend to get. Right. Uh, that she was still offered sort of the same like gangster roles that she was offered before. And I think that's part of why she branched out and conquered the rest of show business. And just before we move on, I also feel like there are three more recent roles that we should mention that people might know her from if they don't know all of these more famous roles, which is uh, she was on, she was a regular on Oz. She was a regular on uh, Law and Order Criminal Intent, uh, or maybe you're recurring on that. I don't know. I don't do Law and Order. Um, and, and most recently she was the grandmother on the reboot of one day at a time, uh, and just absolutely killing it on that show. If you haven't watched it, I just highly recommend it. I love it. Seconded. Yeah. Just so great. Uh, anyone else have anything they want to say about Rita Moreno before we move on? Same thing I have to say about the whole episode. She's great. No notes. There's something about Rita Moreno that I I think brings out the best in the Muppets, because I think she brings three things to the table. She She's versatile as all get out. There's a lack of vanity in everything that she does. And then there's like a fearlessness that doesn't make her seem like a fish out of water in this wacky landscape. And there's a sort of like generosity and an ease in how she interacts with everybody. And, you know, in theory you know, it should be about the, about the guest star. Like they should be the centerpiece of it. And it's not that she isn't, it's just that she understands how wonderful all of the ingredients and the stew are. And so she lets everything interact in this sort of organic way. And gosh, she's a legend. I love her. We've kind of already gotten things started. uh, But Mikhail, why don't you uh, tell us some more about how you feel about this episode? (laughs) I mean, so for these oh, this overall impressions section, my overall impression is that Rita Moreno really earned that Emmy just by being part of this zany energy. And as uh, Christy so beautifully said, they were really feeding off each other, her and the Muppets. But something related that I wanted to bring up, 
And something that I've been noticing, and this is this is related to Rita Moreno, I promise, but um, I've been noticing in this rewatch so far, in these first few episodes, just how much acting Kermit can get out of this little flat fleece face. <laughs> I didn't practice saying that, and I feel like I should have. <laughs> but he's able to get so much expression out of what doesn't, uh, you know, just a hand. Um, he has a moment where he introduces the guest star every week, and he does this thing with his face where it looks like he's lost for a second and forgotten the guest star's name. Like he looks into the camera and is like, wait, who's the guest star? And then he turns on a dime and like, gets, gets so excited. And it's like, oh, it's Rita Moreno. And it's, it's this beautiful piece of acting from Kermit. And I say that to say that Rita Moreno does that same thing where she's even just that introductory moment, the curtain pulls back and you see that Animal is attacking her in the neck and she's freaked out at Animal. And then she like, turns to the camera and does this fantastic, everything's fine, manic face. And she does it. Um, we'll, we'll get to her opening number too. But there's a moment where the, the countertop swings back and lands on her hand. And she also does these quick expression changes that are wonderful and Muppet-like. And what I'm saying is Kermit the Frog and Rita Moreno are each brilliant comics and give them all the Emmys. So obviously I loved it and I loved it for a lot of reasons. One of the things that I think this episode does right that the episodes we've watched up until today did not do right is that it puts Rita right up front, uh, not just in the sense of really making her the focus of the show, but literally she gets to the opening number. She comes on two minutes into the show, which is four minutes sooner than any of the other ones that we've seen so far. And I think that really makes a difference in terms of the energy level and the excitement of this episode. I also like that it really lets her do a little bit of everything that she's good at. So like in the Juliet Prowse episode, we get to see her dance, but we didn't really get to hear her sing and she didn't do a whole lot of acting. But for Rita Moreno, we, we get a dance number, we get a song number, we get a comedy bit. So we really do get to see everything that she's good at. And it's Particularly gratifying because for most of her famous and even her not so famous movie musical roles, she wasn't allowed to sing. She was dubbed in West Side Story. She played a silent character in Singing in the Rain. Uh, this year I watched The Vagabond King and she's the second lead in that and they dubbed her. Uh, she was dubbed in The King and I. And she proves here that there's absolutely no need for that. And, uh, and has proven that many other times in her career as well. You know, it's weird to talk about this episode was so great not because of the Muppets, but because of the thing that is not the Muppets. But uh, <laughs> like you said, she is like the perfect glue to hold together all of the other elements of the Muppet show so that they finally really cohere into a perfect version of what they can be. Yeah. And that it's, and it's not to not to take anything away from her because she's perfect, but what I love about it and we've, we've, hedging because we don't know what order these are going to come out in, but uh, we have talked about this on other episodes we've recorded about when the Muppets and the, and the human interact or don't. And she is in everything she does. She is, she is completely performing with the Muppets and they with her. It's such a symbiotic relationship and it, and it shows how good she is and how good the puppetry is and how good it is when it all comes together. And I think that's part of what makes it work so well. My experience watching this the first time through was, oh, it's this episode. Oh, it's this episode, like over and over and over again. Um, like I, I have seen this again, you know, as an adult. It's not like it's my first time watching it since childhood, but like almost every sketch was one that I remember. I didn't necessarily remember that it was this or even that it was Rita Moreno necessarily, but I was like, oh, this, I love this. Um, for, for example, 
Who was it? <coughs> the fire department. <laughs> I think this is what they call a running gag. <laughs> no, that's what they call a running gag. I mean, and that's a, like that's a gag that the Muppets will repeat later on. Like the Muppets made a running gag out of the running gag gag, and like I just I got super excited like when that like the second the phone rang, I was like, oh, it's the running gag episode, <laughs> um, and it it made me very happy. Um, and that happened like throughout, um, right from the start. That that first the the tango that we'll talk about in a minute. Um, same way, Christy. I'm guessing more of the same. <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely more of the same here. Um, but I, I also think the last episode that we recorded, we talked about Connie Stevens. And the the thing is, is somebody like Connie Stevens has a shtick, right? Like, like she's known for a very specific thing, a very specific way of moving through the world. And that contrasted with this feels like night and day because every single thing the the Rita Moreno doesn't in this episode like <laughs> tops the last thing. It's all she, it, there's a reason that she is an egot. You know, like she's just able to, the the show is able to metabolize her in, in a way that she can do anything. Whereas with with a, a Connie Stevens or a Juliet Prowse, like they do a thing or two things, and. It, it's harder to let the Muppets shine when you're you're like, okay, well, Connie Stevens is, is a 50s nostalgia act, so I guess we're going to do a 50s nostalgia thing. Or later on when there are country music stars coming on the Muppet Show, it's like, I guess we're doing a country music show, an episode of the Muppet Show that is all country music. Right. This is much more versatile. Speaking of country music... <laughs> I'll allow it. Yeehaw! <laughs> this is a, a very music-heavy episode, largely, I think, because of the, the musical versatility of the guests. So the very first sketch is a tango fight, <laughs> underscored uh, by a song called I Get Ideas, uh, that was originally a, an Argentine t- tango canción, or tango with words, called Adios Muchachos, that ended up acquiring English lyrics much later in its life. It was originally written in 1927 by Julio Cesar Sanders and Cesar Felipe Vidani, and uh, an American lyricist named Dorcas Cochran gave uh, lyrics that were not a translation uh, to it in uh, the 50s, early 50s. And it was a hit for Tony Martin in May of 1951. It hit number three. And then there was a Louis Armstrong version that charted later that same summer and peaked at number 13 and it, it's it's a jazz standard uh but it, it's a, a very very fun bit it's Brita Moreno dance fighting with a full-bodied humanoid muppet in a bar uh, after she catches him flirting with piggy <laughs> and what's funny is the the whole bit takes on a little bit more depth uh when you know the lyrics of the song that's instrumental underneath it i think we've got a clip when we are dancing and you're dangerous Lindy me, I get ideas, I get ideas, I want to hold you so much closer than I dare to, I want to scold you cause I care more than I care to, and when... So yeah, so it's it's sort of a song about a love-hate push-pull relationship, so it's perfect for 
this particular bit. And Adam, I think you had something to say about it. Well, I just, um, I don't always love this style of Muppet. It's a, you know, it's a dancer in a, just in clothes with like gloves and a head. But if you're going to do that, this is why you do that because he's really dancing with her. Like it's a full on tango. Um, And then there are these really beautiful edits where they, they switch, they swap the dancer out with a, a ragdoll version of him. And sometimes it's an edit and sometimes they just, the camera will follow Rita and, and he sort of crawls behind something and they replace him with, with the puppet or vice versa. Um, so then she throws him around. She ties his arms to a pole. I mean, it's very funny and it's such a cool use of puppetry and dance together. And like, it's the reason to have that type of costume in, in Muppet land. And then like all the little, all the pigs at the tables and, and piggy just sort of adding color and flavor and, and, and reacting to everything. I just love it. It, it makes me so happy. And I remember being intimidated by this sketch as a kid because that that's a, a very violent situation to find yourself in. And I remember also being confused because, you know, she kisses him and then she hits him. Does she love him? Does she hate him? As, as a child, it did not register. And then rewatching this, I just was struck by, oh, you can love and hate somebody in the same time. <laughs> <laughs> they get it. I get it. This is, I'm older now. Oh, it's interesting. I read it. I mean, and you know, I am a man. I am a gay man. But I, I read it as like she's like humoring him for her safety. Like she's in a bar. Oh gosh. Like there's that there's that one bit where she like sort of smiles and like pats his pats his hand and then elbows him in the gut, and it felt very much like oh okay okay yeah sure sure I'll give you my number and then like she whacks him. I don't know. I I had a very different read on it, which is interesting. <laughs> Whereas I assume that they already had a pre-existing relationship. She's upset because he's cheating. And so the times when she's flirtatious is just to sort of lull him into putting his guard down so that she can get another good crack in. I do think, I think that's the narrative with, with Piggy, especially. Um, but like the, the sleazy bar sort of adds a, a whole layer of like, whose side and whose side are the male pigs on? It was just an interesting <laughs> question I had. Um, but yeah, I love it. And this is um, this episode is choreographed by Jillian Lynn of uh, Cats and Phantom of the Opera fame, which I also just think is fun. The pop-up trivia for this episode says that uh, there's a similar-looking character in the bar in the El Slizo in uh, the Muppet movie that was um, directly inspired by this guy. So our next song is this episode's UK spot. Uh, it's a song called Tomorrow. <laughs> It's hard to talk about it uh, because of the inherent pun. Uh, it's alternately called I Want to Go Tomorrow, uh, <laughs> written by uh, Lou Sully and originally recorded by Dan W. K- Quinn, one of the first ever popular recording artists in 1902. I, I found the recording, the original recording of this on the Library of Congress website, and it's scratchy and delightful uh it was in the public consciousness at this particular time because it was recorded by the kingston trio in 1960 and uh the muppet show version is performed by a a group of muppets called the country trio who are muppet versions of jim henson frank oz and jerry nelson and they had made a few appearances prior to the muppet show they were uh on the pericoma winter show in 1972 where they did you don't mess around with jim which is very funny it's on youtube and then they made an appearance on Dick Cavett. They were in a, a PBS promo. They're uh, playing instruments. They look kind of Kingston trio-y, but they also look like the humans. But we, we have a clip. 
I was so disappointed, I was mad enough to swear. The train had gone tomorrow and it left me standing there. The man was right in telling me, you are a howling jay. You cannot go tomorrow. Well, I guess in town I'll stay. I don't get it. So yeah, so the whole thing is one big pun on uh, a trip to Morrow, Ohio. It reminded me of I'm My Own Grandpa that appears later in the show's run. Yeah, both very Muppet-appropriate songs. Quick question before we move on. I only heard one instrument, even though we're definitely watching the country trio. Maybe it was a guitar playing the chords and then a banjo playing the little riffs, but it might have all been a banjo. I didn't quite figure it out, but... I, I can hear all of them in there. I mean, upright bass in particular is so subtle mm-hmm. um, that, I mean, it, it's it's more just like a, a, a layer of texture than anything, especially the way that uh, the Frank Muppet's playing. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask your expert opinions because I was looking at all three instruments and trying to hear them and not hearing them, and it was bothering me. This was also another example of Frank's stellar puppeteering work because like the <laughs> the level of concentration of of the Frank Muppet uh as he played but then like a- as uh Jim and uh Jerry would uh, trade off lines he'd kind of look between them and uh and then have to go back to concentrating very hard on playing the bass. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, delightful. Shall shall we clip our way into uh, Lady of Spain? Oh, oh let's do. <laughs> Lady of Spain! Oh, the song. Ow, 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 ow. <laughs> Right from the night I first saw you, my heart has been yearning for you. So yeah, Lady of Spain. <laughs> uh, this, yeah, this was the uh, the first appearance of Marvin Suggs and his Muppaphone. Uh, and we only hear a, a tiny bit of the song, but the song's from 1931. And uh, it was written by uh, Tolchard Evans and Errol Reeves, which was a pseudonym for two people, and Henry Tisley. How it took four people to write that song, I have no idea. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's from uh, 1931. The, the version uh, that we just played there at the end is the original recorded version by Al Boley. And other versions have been hits over the years. Eddie Fisher had a hit with it uh, in 1952. And it's often associated with the accordion. It was the signature tune of Myron Florin, the happy Norwegian on the Lawrence Welk show, which seems to have a direct relationship to the Muppet show. Um at least spiritually um it seems like it would be a the most like relevant association with the song for the muppet audience at that particular point in time do you guys have feelings about marvin suggs and his muppet phone i I love it so much (laughs) this was another one of those moments where i was like oh it's the muppet phone i got so excited (laughs) and it's like it's such a little kid joke but it it still makes me laugh so hard and then, like, when I was clipping it and I was making gifts, and I was still laughing, and I don't, like, they're so cute, the little Muppaphones. And, like, I shouldn't 
enjoy them getting hit on the head, but I do. But then Marvin Suggs gets hit on the head, so it's okay. Because he gets his comeuppance and they laugh. I don't know. I love them. They're just the cutest little things. I want to unionize them. I want them to rise up in solidarity against Marvin Suggs. Yes, also that. Like, why why does he need to hit them? Why can't he just train them like the... Choir. It's a great question. It's the only way to get sound out of them. They they need to be struck like a hammer on piano strings. Why do they cooperate? <laughs> I mean, like, none of it makes any sense. It might be a reflex. I'm not sure that they are free to go. I, they may be strapped into that thing. As much as they can bounce around a little bit free of the phone, but they can't ever quite leave. Yeah, it does seem like there should be a better way to play them, though. One thing that does bother me a little bit as someone who briefly played the vibraphone in junior high, that they don't appear to actually be in the order of the tone that they need to It is a uh, bit off-putting. And also, it's only two performers performing all of them all the way up the octave. So they, th- there's something about... If you, tr- if you think too hard about it, it doesn't work anymore. If you try to figure out where Jib is standing and where Jerry is standing... And whether they are actually singing the notes that make sense, or he strikes one of them twice and gets two different notes and two different voices out of it. Delightful. So Wayne and Wanda, bless them. Uh, <laughs> try again. Keep trying. Doomed. Poor doomed Wayne and Wanda. With a sense of awesome pride, I present the singing team of Wayne and Wanda with goody, goody, oh, goody, goody. So you met someone who set you back on your heels. Goody, goody. Okay, moving right along, friends. Stall, stall. <laughs> I just love the little stall, stall. I kept the clip going a little longer. And Kermit does not comply. He immediately introduces Fozzie Bear with no hesitation. He says he's going to stall, but he's lying. What a pro. Um, yeah, not a lot to say about Goody Goody. Uh, it was written by Maddie Melnick and Johnny Mercer in 1936. It was popularized by big bands in the 30s and 40s. And like, seems to be a recurring theme for a lot of the songs that pop up on the Muppet Show. It was written in one decade and then found success in a later decade. It was a hit in 1957 for Frankie Lyman. Well, at least this one was a hit both times. Like, yeah. it, was, it was a hit in the 30s also. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but that's definitely not a thing that you see anymore. Like that, that was very popular as the, you know, Tin Pan Alley era started to bleed into the recording era into the, the rock and roll era is, you know, a song that had staying power and would evolve and be re-recorded and shift. And that's not so much a phenomenon anymore in that way. So I just think that's interesting. Unlike movies and TV. Fewer reboots. Uh, it's actually interesting. I sort of wonder if there will be sort of a, a bounce back effect of that where the music industry is like, wait a minute, nostalgia is doing so well for movies and TV. Maybe we just need to have everyone recording there. You know, I mean, you know, it's become a cliche in the last like 20 years that aging rock stars, once they get past a certain point, do their American Songbook album. But I do wonder if maybe we'll start to see more nostalgia covers from younger rock and pop stars as that seems to be where the entertainment industry is going. That is an intriguing hypothesis. So last, but certainly not least. (laughs) In the morning, fever all through the night. 
Oye, buddy, nada más quiero decirte que no se debe hacer eso. It's not nice. ¿Entiendes? Mírame a mí cuando te hable. Este es mi número y si tú me fastidias más, te voy a dar una gasnata que te vas a bobo. Cool it. I could have just clipped the whole thing. It's it's so good. So this is a fever as sung by Rita Moreno and backed uh, to varying degrees of subtlety uh, by uh, Floyd on bass and Animal on drums. Uh, <laughs> uh, fever itself was written. Uh, this is the second song uh, this week written by a songwriter under a pseudonym. It was written by Eddie Cooley and Otis Blackwell under the pseudonym of John Davenport. Uh, <laughs> apparently because he was trying to dodge a recording contract. It was originally re recorded by an R&B artist named Little Willie John, but in 1956, but it was most famous uh, because of a version put out by Peggy Lee two years later. She sort of rewrote the lyrics a little bit and didn't copyright them. And they kind of got subsumed into the version that people know. And the arrangement here is pretty much identical to the, the Peggy Lee version. So just one thing quickly that I, I was really impressed by pretty much every time I've watched this is that because of the, the whole gag of the sketch is that animal keeps getting worked up and she has to sort of calm him down to get him back on track so they can finish the song. Uh, but to do that, he really like breaks with the rhythm of the song. Like the song has a very regular baseline. That's like a very specific, um, you know, length of measures and chord changes. And he's constantly disrupting that. And the fact that she's able to keep going and she and the band are in sync and it never gets weird or awkward, uh, musically speaking, I think is incredibly impressive. And I mean, obviously, uh, maybe not obviously, uh, we assume that this was pre-recorded so that they had some time to work it out. This isn't like... I don't think it was. I'm cu I'm curious about that because well, she gets off the rhythm. Part of the joke is that she gets off the rhythm, like, it, like he throws her. But when when she goes when you can particularly here when she goes back to talk to him in Spanish, which I also want to talk, talk about because I think it's really interesting. Um, his like his puppet drum set is making actual sound, which I obviously like not all of it, but like the hi hat is going and it's it's real and you can hear her mic pick it up when she goes talk to talk to him. And I feel like I know that like some of the Rolf piano stuff they did live, so I don't know. It felt like just the comic timing of all of it feels it felt live to me maybe it wasn't i mean maybe they're just that good i mean either way it's an incredible technical feat yeah but i think like the fact that it's just piano it's just piano and drums and um and her uh i i wonder if they are if they had people playing off camera um and that's sort of how they were able to coordinate like if somebody right like if if the puppeteer is leading Right, so like animal does something, and the and the drummer is watching to match him. I wonder. I don't know. It's so funny. It's so good. Like her face and animal's face are like two of the funniest things I've ever seen, and like working in tandem. So I did not know until we were prepping for this episode that Elvis also apparently had a famous version of the song, which to my ear sounds very similar to Peggy Lee's, only with Elvis singing. Only worse. Yeah. Right, only only bad. Um, I mean, it's not bad, it's just not as good as Peggy Lee. Uh, and uh, this is our moment to mention that 
Rita Moreno has something in common with two other early Muppet Show guest stars, which is that she fucked Elvis, <laughs> which we know because she, <laughs> she wrote a biography uh, <laughs> and she talked about it and apparently spilled the beans that he was not very good in bed. Uh, just because we don't know what order these are going to come out in, we should say that's Julia Prowse and Connie Stevens uh, so far on our Elvis tally. We also have a separate Sinatra tally going as well. Yeah, I was going to say we are looking into some extended research on the Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, Muppet Show, Venn Diagram. Who did the Muppet Show? Who did Elvis? Who did Frank Sinatra? Exactly. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) So we were going to talk about Animal? This is the first time, I think, in any order, right? In in production or air order that we're really seeing Animal as a character. He's been around. He's played the drums. He's also popped up in uh, At the Dance, doing the one, two, three dip thing. It's just interesting, like, right, 40 years on, like, I know who Animal is, and I just was like, oh, wait, this is, like, the first time we're seeing him really do, like, a bit, plus the at the dance bit. It's just interesting, like, this is the intro to him. Um, He's sort of fully formed. And then, like, he seems to speak Spanish, which is interesting, (laughs) and I sort of love that. And, And, like, that's not subtitled. It's just, she just speaks Spanish to him. It's very clear the sense of what she's saying, even if you don't exactly understand what she's saying. And so I love that they included that it's it's very hard it's very Rita Moreno um I don't know I love everything about this number it's so good shall we uh move on to our next segment I guess so ready three two one fire this is shot out of a cannon where we discuss the segments that became canonical to the Muppet show and uh we've had so much fantastic Rita Moreno content that it uh Feels like a bit of a turn to suddenly get back to the Muppets, but they're in this episode too. So uh, we have uh, the first veterinarian's hospital sketch, and we have a little clip from that. I'm sorry I'm late, Dr. Bob. I was operating in the other room. I know, it's the talk of the hospital. (laughs) Booga, booga. I cut that out. Let me have the ear thing. Ear thing, Dr. Bob. Oh, Oh, feels good. Stick. Stick, Dr. Bob. Fetch. What's that all about? That's my laboratory retriever. Thank you. Oh, uh, what do you think, Dr. Bob? I think it's man is sick. You ought to see a doctor. But, Dr. Bob, you want a doctor. That's your opinion. I'm getting out of here. There's so much that I love about Veterinarian's Hospital. It's essentially a thinly veiled delivery system for uh, abysmal one liners, and I'm all about that. That's basically my life story. I mean, I would say that's all I need out of the Muppet Show, but also we have this flawless guest. All I want to add to that is that uh, at the end, you hear Jerry Nelson as the announcer say, tune in next time when you'll hear Nurse Piggy say, or when you'll hear Dr. Bob say. And when my sister and I were little, whenever we were in a place that had a PA system, we would look up and pretend to wonder where the voice was coming from, like the Muppets do at the end of Veterinarian's Hospital. And just thinking about that makes me happy. (laughs) So I love this sketch because Again, we're still in the early days of the Muppet Show, so all of the performers were not quite yet fixed for who was going to play which character. So we get the non-canonical voices for both Piggy and Janice. And Piggy, I feel like we get we've had more opportunities to hear. Um, is that Richard Hunt doing Piggy? Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't sound so wrong to me. But because it's still kind of the same characterization of Piggy that we get when Frank Oz does it. But here Janice is played so differently than the Janice that we come to know. Uh, And it's so interesting to sort of hear this first draft where instead of 
Janice being like the cool stoner, Janice was like sort of like the ditzy baby girl. And I'm so grateful that that is not the direction they ended up taking this character in. And so it's a neat little window into what might have been and thank God was not. And it's interesting too, because we'll get Frank Oz's piggy later in this same episode. They were they were switching off sort of for practical reasons. Um, again, according to the DVD, um, because Fozzie is in this scene, that's why Frank Oz wasn't doing Piggy. I don't entirely know if that's true because I know sometimes they would just record stuff or dub it in later. But that's what that's what they said. Um, I love that very adult joke at the top of the scene about Janice being a slut, which like Veterinary Hospital is in part a spoof of hospital soap operas. So like it makes it makes sense and it's subtle enough that it's a kid won't get it. But it it did it did surprise me a little bit to see it. And as a Grey's Anatomy fan, it made me happy. Yeah, it's subtle, but not that subtle. Yeah. Not not subtle, but not like a, a child won't get it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like right on the line. Speaking of not that subtle, uh, this sketch in particular is where I really started to notice Fozzie's wiggling ears at every punchline. <laughs> <laughs> they come to major prominence in this episode. I mean, it's not just Fozzie in this, in this bit. Every time there's a joke, they all do a take to the camera, which I love because it just underlines sort of that, like, we know that this is trashy borscht bell humor and we're going to relish it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it just it, it just adds so much. Yeah, they're really going for it. Fozzie lifts his head out of the sick bed and looks directly into the camera and wiggles his ears. I'm, I'm all about that jazz hands life. Uh, so the next canonical segment is the Muppet News Flash. We have a couple of them in this episode. One of them barely counts because uh, the second time the newsman comes on, he says there is no news tonight. Uh, the first time, uh, oh, the dream of 2021, <laughs> <laughs> uh, someday life will be as, uh, uneventful as 1976 was. You know, what's weird. I saw on a game show this week, a question involving, uh, a night when maybe it was on the, in Britain. So like, maybe this was a, a joke specifically for the British audience, but it was sometime in like 1938 or 1939 or something where they actually announced there is no news tonight. And it's sort of infamous. <laughs> I just happened, happened to see that. Wow. this week. Huh. Well, even on a slow news day, uh, the newsman manages to find um, a piece of news about a chicken learning to dance classical ballet, uh, who eventually uh, rather than take her place at the Royal Copenhagen ballet, the uh, the owner of the chicken fricasseed her for lunch. All I really have to say about that is it was a missed opportunity for a chicken coop and hagen joke. <laughs> Jazz hands wiggle ears. Some great comedy shtick. Okay, so Swedish chef. <laughs> the Swedish chef is making Flappy Jackie. He flips them, they stick to the ceiling. Uh, he can't find them again, so he gets out his blunderbussen and shoots them down. And he only flipped two of them up to the ceiling that we saw. Maybe... Uh, there were more of them that happened off camera, but there is a rain of Flappy Jackies that rained out upon him. I appreciate that the Swedish chef successfully makes Flappy Jackies (laughs) by whatever means. Yeah. At the end of the sketch, he has a counter full of flapjacks. Yeah, he's not leaving there without the Flappy Jacking. Important question for all of you. How old were you when you realized that the the Swedish chef has human hands? Huh. Because I was definitely in my 30s. Yeah, I didn't think about it as a kid. I think I was a teenager. 
Because I, I like certainly hit that point where I got interested in the Muppets behind the scenes. And once you do that, you start paying attention to this is a hand and rod puppet. These are live hands. Right. Oh, wait a minute. His hands look creepy. Why do they look creepy? <laughs> oh, they're real man hands. It's like once you notice, you can't unsee And you it. can find a wax replica of them in the Museum of the Moving Image. Okay, our next canonical segment at the dance. The main through line here is that there's a shark wandering around the ballroom. Mildred wants to get out and George says, let's tango, which I, th- the dance that they proceed to do is no more a tango than the dance we saw the fox doing last week was a foxtrot. And I just, I have some feelings about that, but um, <laughs> more importantly, we have a, a clip of Animal here as we're getting to know him this episode. I hear you come from a broken home. Yeah, I broke it myself. <laughs> Two, three, dip. <laughs> dip. <laughs> dip. <laughs> ah. I've found because we've watched so many of these in so short a time that anytime I just completely zone out during the day, the at the dance music is playing underneath my thoughts. Uh, I'd much rather have that get stuck in my head than the DVD select an episode music. All right. We have arrived at the panel discussion, which is canonical to the first season of the Muppet show. Uh, We have Kermit in a little tuxedo asking the people on the panel Is conversation a dying art? And if this sketch is any indication, it might be. We have Rita Moreno here playing a character named Tiffany Gonzalez, and she is here earning her Emmy once again several times over, and we haven't even, at this point in the episode, we haven't gotten to hear her sing yet. So Tiffany Gonzalez has a tiff, as it were, with Miss Piggy, uh, here performed uh, appropriately by Frank Oz, I feel like. We need Frank Oz and Rita Moreno's combined energy here to get to whatever this is. What's the matter with you? You don't understand English? No, I don't understand English. <laughs> don't make fun of the lady's accent. What I say? Listen, boy chick, I speak as good English as the next guy. Yeah, if the next guy is Desi Arnaz. Girls, if you want... Listen, yo. <laughs> How would you like a high heel and your ham hock? I don't know why she says Boychik. I don't know why it works, but it does. I mean, I think it works because it's when she says, I speak English as well as the next guy. I think it's a little bit of a, a nod to kind of the multi-ethnic, multilingual nature of New York City, at least. I may be reading too much into that, but that's how I felt. Makes sense to me. I'll buy it. I, I was also just like desperately looking for ways to understand this sketch is not being racist <laughs> i mean yeah 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 i mean I'm, i'd love to know how much um involvement rita moreno had in the writing um of all of the right of the, I mean, the fact that she speaks spanish and fever too because it's not she, it's not like she doesn't do this accent throughout her career or a version of it including on one day at a time which is an incredibly progressive show that is um you know de- trying to depict a, a a, a realistic view of a multi-generational Cuban American family. And, you know, she's the immigrant grandmother and that's, it's kind of the same accent. So like, it's, I don't think the accent itself is necessarily racist. I think the, char- I think oh, the Piggy I think Piggy's character in it is racist, but I don't think we're supposed to like her or not know that, you know, it's interesting. It, it, and it feels sort of like Saturday Night Live-ish rather than a Muppet show-ish. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I kind of liked it. <laughs> But it's weird. They're acknowledging that it's a tired trope. They say if the next guy is Desi Arnaz, and Desi Arnaz has made a reputation out of this 
decades earlier. And also, this is the shtick that Rita won her Tony for. Her role in The Ritz was playing a showgirl named Googie Gomez, who does show tunes with this thick, thick, thick accent uh, at a gay bathhouse. Oh, let's play the clip. Things look swell. Things look great. Gonna have the whole world on the plate. Best starting you, best starting now. Only everything's coming up that's part of Rita's own bag of tricks and had been, uh, you know, before this point. So I think we got to trust that she knew what she was doing. Yeah. It really does feel tailored to her the whole episode in a way that the other episodes that we have rewatched so far don't necessarily like they're, you know, Joel Gray does Vilkoman because he kind of has to, <laughs> but like every, every piece of this feels like, you know, we are going to show her off. She's going to dance. She's going to be funny. She's going to do the accent. She's going to sing fever. Like it, everything feels like so perfectly fit to her. And I can think of later episodes and other guest stars where that will be true again. But this is like the first of the, the four, five counting the Valentine show that I've watched in the last two weeks that feels like so on point to this. And I'm, I'm curious to know like partly just production wise, like if that's because she was involved or if it's just because they were having more fun or because she was more game or, you know, or what I've, 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 there absolutely is a a note in the performance of this sketch that sort of indicates that she's in on the joke. So I, I would just be curious to hear uh, a Latinx person respond to this. Cause I also don't feel equipped to, you know, judge whether or not it's, fully racist or only yeah we are we are four white people (laughs) i did not remember that this became a recurring sketch just because this particular iteration of it is so strong that it really kind of overshadows any other versions of the panel discussion in my head yeah i had to double check because i had in the back of my head that i think this is a recurring sketch but also i can only think of this one so it does pop up again uh for the rest of the first season and i think they found better things to do Before we move on, I want to give a quick of its time award, not to this sketch itself, even though that was certainly a contender, but to the Statler and Waldorf clip that comes right after. That Miss Marino is easy on the eyes, but hard on the ears. Yes. In fact, I just got a concussion from that discussion. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because women be talking. All right. So (laughs) it's funny because it rhymes. Yeah, they can do better. Yeah. Okay, we've got a talk spot. Uh, Speaking of women be talking. Speaking of women be talking, Rita Moreno um, switches right out of her Tiffany accent into a Rita Moreno accent, just casually chatting with Kermit um, and insisting that she would like to casually and spontaneously chat rather than uh, what typically gets done on variety shows where you can tell that people are reading off of cue cards. And Kermit would be fine with this, except there's a problem with the guy who holds the cue cards. Really no one's reading to hold cue cards? Well, I, uh, no. Nice lady, let freedoms hold something else? Oh, sure. You can hold anything you want. Oh, the best offer me have all week. What? <laughs> 
Uh, happens so often on our show, our guest stars just get carried away. So I know that it's typically Richard Hunt performing Sweetums. Is, does Richard Hunt have that much strength in his left hand to just lift Rita Moreno off the ground? Well, she's a petite dancer lady. I suspect she doesn't weigh very much. I guess. I don't know. Can, can, can anybody just lift a hundred? I guess if you're used to holding Muppets up over your head. Right. They probably have very good arm strength. I've, I've heard it said. Probably as a dancer, she knows how to help him probably into a lift. That makes sense. I mean, this this doesn't uh, look like any kind of lift that I know. Well, no, no. That's <laughs> From social true. dancing, but um, yeah, that, that makes sense too. And yes, I have heard it said that to be a Muppet performer, you do need to have a certain athleticism in your upper body. I appreciate that Kermit is not a total creep to the guest star in this, but there's still like... It's a welcome change. Three, you know, three of the four episodes we've recorded uh, have had female guests, and uh, all of them, the talk spot has been a little bit creepy. I know, like, he's a monster. There's nothing explicitly sexual about this, but I do feel that they wouldn't do this joke with a male guest star. Like, Joel Gray is also a teeny tiny person, and Sweetums could have lifted him up, and they don't. They don't do this joke with him, and I just—it's a thing I keep noticing that the talk spot has like this weird air of creep to it and i don't like it as much as i love the joke of kermit reading the cue cards because he's a puppet and doesn't have actual eyes so it's a mixed bag it's a mixed bag for me yeah maybe rita asking to go off script (laughs) going off script might mean hey what if this week uh, nobody tries to get me to kiss them nobody picks me up and carries me away i I didn't even put together that it's twice as funny because he doesn't have real eyes. <laughs> like you just said that, and like my eyes got real big. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like I, I, I had noted that this is sort of an old variety show gag that comes up a lot. You've seen it on Saturday Night Live, etc. But like Kermit sells it in part because he claims to to be in on the joke and like know that it's a joke, uh, and so that's what I loved about it. But. But you're so right. <laughs> Apparently, this might be apocryphal, but um, I forget now where I saw this, but um, I guess on maybe on the Jimmy Dean show, the cue card guys would forget that Ralph was a puppet and would actually like start showing him the cards instead of Jim. Yeah, that story's in um, the biography. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, maybe that's where they got the idea, but I love that you forgot to <laughs> makes me happy <laughs> we should also just talk about sweetums for a second because this is his first yeah. appearance on the muppet show he originated in the special the frog prince in 1971 where he played a henchman of all the full body muppets i feel like he's the one who's had the most staying power probably because he has such a memorable moment in the muppet movie oh hi jack jack not name jack Joel. <laughs> i also think that he has uh, I don't know, maybe a little more personality than some of the other full-body Muppets that we've met. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I love Sweetums. Yeah. I've always loved Sweetums. I'll always hear for more Sweetums. I mean, mixed feelings about him carrying off against Star Lady against her will, but yeah. generally here for Sweetums. And Sweetums also has a very memorable moment in Muppet Vision 3D where he's he actually appears in the theater like a person in a costume. Like he comes off the screen. And so, you know, as someone who grew up watching Muppets on the screen, that's like a very thrilling moment. So, you know, props to Sweetums. Our last canonical sketch we have uh, Fozzie bantering with Statler and Waldorf. We have a quick clip of that. 
Hey, hey, you remind me of Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston doesn't tell jokes. Well. <laughs> yeah. Every time. <laughs> God bless. All right. I think uh, we are coming up on our closing time. Anyone have some final thoughts? Just a weird thing I noticed. I was I was reading the credits carefully because I wanted to see who choreographed, and I noticed that the puppeteers were credited as the Muppet people. They're often credited as the Muppet performers. So I, we can cut this if we want to. I just thought it was weird, so I'm pointing it out because that's what we do. Noted. The question is, who cares? I do know that... Um, Sometimes the credits are different in the UK versus the US and that they were inconsistent on the DVD as to which versions they used. So that uh, may be what's going on here. Uh, so now, now that we've done this a few times, uh, I want to make sure to point people to our website at muppeturgy.com. We are having a lot of fun uh, researching these, um, finding songs and clips and various stuff on YouTube and uh, making gifts and stuff like that. And um, it's, you can tell we love this episode. So this is going to be the biggest show notes so far. I maybe gift every facial expression that Rita Moreno made because it's a holiday weekend and I have the time. I don't know, maybe. So um, check out Mopatrigi.com. We're having a lot of fun making them and uh, hope that you will have fun looking at them. Is the Spotify playlist still a thing? Yep. Spotify playlist is there. You can link to the Spotify playlist, the social media, um, and um, we're doing some uh, some blog posts separate from the episode show notes as well. So uh, check all that out. Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy, or on the web, as Adam said, at Muppeturgy.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Bryant Backus, this episode was edited by me, David Levy. Radio, the most visual of mediums of media. Cut that too.